listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Our scripture passage for today's message comes from Psalm 46. Psalm 46, and I'll ask you to rise today for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations He has brought in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I'm uh, fighting a bit of a cold this morning, so if there's a lack of passion or intensity, it's not because I care less about my message. It's uh, purely a, uh, a bodily issue here. Well, there's a legend about Psalm 46 and William Shakespeare. In 1610, the finishing touches were being put on the King James translation of the Bible. Because Psalm 46 was such a treasured passage, King James wanted to make sure that it got the best translation, right? So he thought only the best poet of our time can do it. And who would that be but William Shakespeare? Shakespeare himself would have turned 46 the same year that he translated the 46th Psalm. The legend goes that he placed his mark permanently on the translation. Now, this is almost like national treasure level conspiracy here. But if you look up Psalm 46 in the King James Bible, and I did this, you count 46 words from the beginning, you'll land on the word shake. Count 46 words from the ending, and you will land on the word spear. Put them together, and what have you got? Shakespeare. Whether the story is true or not, Psalm 46 has a very rich history. Martin Luther used it as the basis for his famous Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which we'll sing in closing today. As a pastor, too, Psalm 46 is just one of my go-tos. If I'm ever out on a visit or I'm at a worship service or something, and I need something right off the cuff, 
Psalm 46 is, is one where, where I go to because there's no bad time to share this psalm with someone, right? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. I mean, is there ever a moment that goes by in our lives when we don't need to hear that? To be reminded of God's wonderful promises? Now, here's the thing, though. Reciting this psalm is one thing. Believing it is something else. Nodding our heads in agreement is one thing, but bowing our hearts is another. So I will ask you this. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Like deep in your bones, do you actually believe it? And before you answer yes, which of course is the good Sunday school answer, let's pump the brakes and examine ourselves. My suggestion today is this. We believe parts of this psalm more than others, and the parts that we believe are the wrong ones. Here at Elam, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Missionaries, with the goal of kind of reconfiguring our understanding of of what it is to be a missionary, right? Most of the time we think of missionaries as being uh, people who cross salt water to go to some foreign context, and they're bushwhacking through the wilderness with a Bible in one hand and a machete in the other. But every Christian, regardless of their location, is, in a sense, a missionary. This is why the last words of Jesus to His disciples is called the Great Commission, right? We are called, commissioned, and sent by God to share the love of Jesus with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our classmates, the people who are already within our circles of influence. So, I am God's missionary. Can you say that with me? I am God's missionary. Simple point, but this has been our takeaway throughout this series. Today, what I want to do is I'm going to double down on an illustration that Kirk gave a few weeks ago. Now, this right here, you can go to the next slide, Tracy. This right here is a picture of the Chaluteca Bridge in Honduras. Do you notice anything strange about it? It looks like they built it in the wrong place, doesn't it? So, here's what happened. The river moved. Construction, over the bri- over the, construction of the bridge over the river was completed in 1998, and the bridge was commissioned for use. But that same year, a hurricane, Hurricane Mitch, swept through the area, and it just like camped out over this one particular area, and it dumped so much rain, over 75 inches in just a few days, which is six feet of water, that it literally changed the course of the river. The river moved, which meant that the bridge no longer served its intended purpose, right? It no longer spanned the river. In his book, Joining Jesus on His Mission, author Greg Finke, he uses this, the Chaluteca Bridge, as an analogy for the way that our culture has shifted in relation to the U.S. church. Listen to this. He says, for a very long time, the U.S. church was well-built, He's comparing the church to the bridge. The U.S. church was well-built, well-positioned and doing an excellent job of meeting the spiritual needs of a largely churched culture. We could say that the church was spanning the river of the U.S. culture at the time. However, over the last 40 years or so, a cultural and religious 
hurricane has been churning over the U.S., leaving the landscape unrecognizable to Christians who came of age before the 1970s. The river moved. The river of the U.S. culture has shifted away from the bridge of the U.S. church as dramatically as the Chaluteca River shifted away from the bridge during Hurricane Mitch. Starting to see the, the parallels here? For the first time in U.S. history, congregations can no longer rely on a strategy of attracting people to religious services as being the best means of introducing people to the gospel. And we know he's right, don't we? Like, we see it everywhere. We see it all around us. The church is not the center of culture the way that it used to be. Biblical literacy is no longer a given among the general populace. It used to be that I could make mention of Jonah and the whale or, or David and Goliath, and everyone knew what I was talking about right off the bat, whether you're a Christian or not. Not so much today. Sundays are no longer sacred, much less Wednesdays. And this is a pretty recent trend. Uh, I'm not that old. At least that's what I tell myself when I wake up every morning and look in the mirror. But when I was in high school in the early 2000s, I can remember getting out of football practice early because Wednesdays was church time. Again, to get to confirmation practice, confirmation, confirmation class. But that's not the case anymore, is it? As the great prophet Bob Dylan once wrote, the times, they are a-changing. Guys, this is the world that we live in. Now, and, and here's where I want to, to drill down and I want us to focus our attention. Our typical reaction to this, which I've heard from, from so many people, is lament, right? Lament, which on the one hand is totally understandable. Like, it's normal to lament loss, which by the way always happens with change. But when lament never moves on from lament, then we've arrived at hopelessness, and hopelessness feeds on fear. We never say this in so many words, but I think it's true. Sometimes our attitude more closely mimics that of Chicken Little than Jesus. Sky is falling. Our world is in uproar. The waters roar and foam and quake. The mountain of Christian America is falling into the heart of the sea. All is lost. Fear, though, that never comes from God, does it? As the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 2.7, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Here are the parts of Psalm 46 we tend to affirm. Times of trouble. The earth gives way. The waters roar and foam. The mountains quake with their surging. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. Problem is this, these are the wrong parts of Psalm 46 to fixate upon, because on their own, they lead us only to places of despair and hopelessness. 
And sadly, this preoccupation of ours reveals that our trust isn't in God. Instead, we're idealizing and sentimentalizing the past. If only we could get back to the way things were, to the good old days, then everything would be okay. I mean, how would you answer the following statement? If only blank would happen, everything would be okay. Everything would be all right. Whatever you would answer for that, however you would fill that blank in, that is the thing you are putting your hope, love, and trust in. And what is something we, what do we call something that we put all of our hope, love, and trust in? A God, an idol. With our own two hands, we fashion an idol out of the past, and we look to it rather than God to save us. We believe the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea, no doubt about it. We'd rather try to rebuild the mountains than trust in the God who created them. Psalm 46, though, it flows in a different direction. Against the grain of the fear and anxiety, which is the, the natural disposition of the human heart, the Psalms are a book of what? What are the Psalms? Songs, right? Book of songs. And what do you call something that gets repeated in a song? Like the chorus or the refrain, yeah. In this psalm, there's a particular refrain. I wonder if you noticed it. It occurs twice in verses 7 and 11. In fact, picking up on the poetic symmetry present in the psalm, some scholars even speculate that it should be in there a third time after verse 3. But anyway, here, here's the refrain. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. A refrain is a, a common theme or note, a particular phrase or word used to, to emphasize something. And in this psalm, the refrain, the chorus, the part that gets repeated is, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's the part he really wants us to hear. If you, if you look closely, you'll see that there's a natural progression within the structure of this psalm, moving from raging seas to calm rivers of gladness. In the first few verses, we have all this like violent, chaotic water imagery, waves swirling and roaring and foaming in the heart of the sea. In the ancient times, the sea was considered the abode of the great unknown, this source of chaos and darkness and all the forces of evil, untamed and unraging, right? They didn't have depth finders back then. They didn't have fish finders. It was understandable how when you gaze into this tumultuous body of water, all you see there is the great unknown, chaos. The Canaanite sea god, Yom, was believed to rule over it. And in a pre-modern era, the sea was an especially terrifying place. But then in the next stanza, beginning at verse 4 of the psalm, there's this just massive transition. Chaos gives way to order. Unknown powers give way to a God who can be personally known, right? Yahweh, the personal God of Israel. Falling mountains give way to a sea, to a city, excuse me, to the city of God which never fails. 
and never falls. And the raging seas give way to a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells. You see, the current of God's river flows against the forces of evil and darkness threatening to overwhelm us. And the undertow of God's river is far more powerful than them. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. But how can we say this? How is it we can make such a a bold claim that the Lord Almighty is not just like above us or around us or beyond us, but actually with us? Well, it's because of His Son, Jesus Christ, also known as Emmanuel, a name which literally means God with us. John 3.16 tells us, for God So loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, the only reason we can claim God as our our refuge and strength is because of Jesus. You see, He shelters us from the storm of sin death and the devil swirling around us, and he does it by absorbing all of it in his own body at the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, replacing our disbelieving hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Despite the seismic shifts across our cultural landscape, in Jesus Christ, God is present with us and acts as our fortress, shielding us from the evil around us and from the evil within us in our own hearts, dealing with it by forgiving it. To people suffering under the weight of their own anxieties and fears, Jesus doesn't command us to get over it. Instead, He gives us a promise to believe and good news to rest in. To those carrying heavy loads, Jesus' command is not lift harder, but give that to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The river has moved. The river of the U.S. culture has moved. It's true. This isn't the culture many of you grew up in, is it? And different churches have responded differently to this change. Some have ignored it, putting their heads in the sand, walking over that same bridge that now spans nothing, as if nothing has changed, as if the river is still there, doing ministry as if their mission field is still a Christian one. Other churches have tried to fight it, try to move that river back to where it was, to go back in time, to rewind the clock. But in the final analysis, that's a losing battle too. There is, however, a third option. 
The bridge can be rebuilt to span the new reality that we face so that it serves its purpose once again. Now, and this is kind of the scary part, that bridge is not going to look the same. That bridge is going to look different. In fact, ministry might look drastically different. Construction methods will probably be different too. It won't be identical to the original one, right? Maybe the first one was a, a suspension bridge. Yeah, the new one, maybe it has steel girders. First one has stone that it used for abutments. Maybe the new one uses concrete. I'm sorry, I used to be a civil engineer, so I'm going to throw this third one in there. The first one used standard rebar for enforcement. Maybe this one uses epoxy-coated. That resonates deeply with all of you, I can tell. You see what I'm getting at, though, right? To minister effectively, to, to bring the love of Jesus to our neighbors within the current cultural climate, churches are having to get really creative in ways that they do ministry. And the churches that are thriving are the ones that are most flexible and adaptable in their methods. Not changing the content of our message, right? The gospel never changes. And the second that it does, it is not the gospel anymore. The second that you're not standing on the word of God, all is lost. But the way the message is communicated, that does change. That has changed historically. Every decade, every century throughout the years, it's looked different. Same present, different packaging, right? Kind of think of it that way. And here's the really good news. People now are just as spiritually hungry as they always have been. That has not changed at all. The human heart is the human heart, and it has been since the very beginning. What has changed is that people are just now more skeptical of the institutional church, right? The church as an institution. According to a 2020 Gallup poll, for the first time in recorded history, they've been doing the survey for 80 years, so this is probably even longer than that, church membership among U.S. adults fell below 50%. Now, I don't want you to, to hear this wrongly. That does not mean that people aren't spiritually hungry. It just means that they aren't coming to us looking for answers. And if the people won't come to us, we go to them. That's what a missionary does, right? Here's another helpful way to, to look at it, taught to me by a missiologist. Tracy, I have a slide for this one. There we go. So there's this, this paradigm, maybe you've heard of it before, believe, become, belong. This is, is generally the way that people have come to faith throughout the years. Is first off, they come to church, and they sit under the teaching of the church. They show up at the doors, they come sit down, they come to hear the gospel, and they come to believe and confess the gospel. They believe. And after they believe, then they belong. They become part of this church, this community. And after they belong, then they become maybe an actual member of the church, right? Kind of the natural progression of that. That paradigm has now reversed, particularly among Gen Z and millennials. The first thing that happens now, what people are looking for more than anything, is a place to belong. And I don't mean a physical place. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about a, a family. They want, they're looking for somewhere to belong. 
And then once they, they have people, they have relationships, they have these, these friendships, then they start to get drawn in and be, to maybe become a bigger part of the church community at large, right? And then after that, then some of the walls start to crumble down and they open up to the gospel. This is not a one-size-fits-all. This is just really, really general, but it's, it's something, a trend that has been noted by missiologists, which is people who study mission for a long time now. And I think that the big key takeaway point here for us is this, the location of the church door has now shifted, and it's no longer those wooden doors out front. The doors to the church are now you and me. Human beings, friendships, relationships, Right? That's kind of the new starting point in many ways. Now, every individual is different, but it does reveal the importance of cultivating friendship with our non-believing neighbors, doesn't it? If they're not coming to us, then we have to go to them, which is exactly what missionaries do. We come together, we are the church gathered, but then we are sent out. We are also the church dispersed, as Tim Keller likes to say. But the main takeaway with all this, dear friends, and I really want you to hear this, is that the sky is not falling. God is just as loving and sovereign now as He always has been. He's building His kingdom. He's moving this thing forward. He's moving His mission forward. He's reconciling a lost and sin-broken creation back to Himself. And his promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church is just as true today as it always has been. God's mission is a done deal. It's accomplished. Just as he said, and if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you kind of know how it ends. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. I'll close with this. Commenting on this psalm, Old Testament scholar Nancy DeClass Walford says this. In the midst of our tumultuous, chaotic modern world, Psalm 46 reminds us that God can calm the raging seas and the trembling mountains and turn them into rivers of life and calm dwelling places. All that is required of us is that we stand still and acknowledge the God who is with us. My hope and prayer is that you take the refrain of this psalm home with you today. In fact, I hope that you repeat it so much that it takes hold of you. So I'll ask you in closing to say it with me one more time, the great refrain of this psalm. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.